0: wilt shall be the whole of the law. This is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to Living Thelema. Now, this episode is part four of the Kabbalistic Psychology series, and we're going to be focusing on the Neshima this time. And also, um, I have some suggestions as far as um, the applications of this formula to sex magic, and sort of some, some bonus content for today. Uh, Because of that, and and in general because this is part four of a series, uh, I want to make the usual recommendation that you go back and listen to parts one through three of the Kabbalistic Psychology series and also the two-part episode I did a few years ago on uh, sex magic and mysticism. I think if if you have those under your belt, you'll be able to make the most of what we do today. Now, just to real briefly recap what we've covered so far and to put the neshama in context uh, we've talked about the nefesh which is the animal soul and the uh, the basic instincts and drives of the the human animal Um, we've talked about the ruach which is the ego personality structure if you want to think of it that way of of the human being that has conscious awareness of sensory inputs and Thoughts and feelings and intuitions and puts them all together in a course of action and, uh, you know, directs the will toward a desired aim in life or in a magical ritual, for example. And then finally, the neshama, which we'll get to today, is the spiritual superconsciousness. Um, putting it on the tree as a reminder, we have the neshama represented by uh, binah. But also by the entire supernal triad. So, when you hear me talk about neshama, I am, in this context, in this in this episode, really talking about it from that standpoint of representing the entire supernal triad. So the the supernal superconsciousness that transcends everyday human egoic strivings and wants and desires, and it's an entirely transpersonal spiritual component of the human psyche, or perhaps more properly stated, um, it is the spiritual component to which the human psyche has access um, consciously with the kind of training that occurs on the path of return. So um, that's just a a preamble and reminder of the basics of what we've covered so far, and uh, let's move on to much more specific material in terms of the neshama so you'll recall that we've been using as one way of talking about this material uh, the sort of a model of creation of a talisman the talisman of a uh, fully spiritually functioning human being who is uh, living from a place of uh, empowerment from their instincts and drives but has got those directed in the right directions according to the true will uh, by the Ruach. And as we'll talk more about today, has has been able to stay plugged into this Neshama consciousness, which is the real source of um, awareness of true will, the uh, contact with the HGA, the, uh, the, the spiritual empowerment, as opposed to the empowerment from instincts and the generative life force that we might say is resident in the uh in the nefesh so in terms of this talisman with uh, the work of the nefesh we underwent a purification of the nefesh where those old um outworn sex negative and body negative uh, accretions of judeo-christian training you know over the the millennia uh, had, had sort of suppressed the natural free-flowing unshameful expression of of the nefeshic energies then with the work on the ruach we consecrated the talisman meaning we use the power of the human ego mind through yoga training and everything else the, the human mind does to focus our intention to select Uh, magical aims to decide on a life course as best we can determine that it's in uh, alignment with true will. So now we're ready for the final charging of the talisman. And if we've had purification and consecration, um, in terms of a talisman, this would be a final charging. In terms of the human being, I think we can think of this more as the initiation, the full initiation into... um, into to the awareness of a rightly functioning, fully empowered human psyche and spirit. So, as with all of these um, important uh, thresholds of learning in the human life, um, there's an ordeal. And the ordeal here is one of confronting and embracing, not just accepting, but embracing the transient nature of the human personality the ego the ruach we are immortal beings but the immortality is not for the human personality it is for the the cobs the star that is the real core of who we are and we could think of as as aligning with what we mean by neshama now the truth of the situation is a singular phenomenon that is human life at the ruach level is transient human spiritual life at the neshama level is eternal so it's a single truth but it's perceived either as ecstasy or despair depending on where we place our identity if we identify with the ruach we're lost in depression absorbed in the grieving of the shell onto which we've projected all meaning and purpose but if we identify with the neshama we recognize that this is an eternal state of uh, an ongoing life as Crowley sometimes talks about it, the, uh, paraphrasing the the uh, twists and turns of the serpent of life and death is just one of those twists and turns. So, as we've touched on quite a bit, over, uh, certainly in this uh, Capitalist psychology series, but also, of course, it's been one of the threads of all my talks over the years. Um, Disidentifying with the human ego as the center of who we really are is one of the core tasks of the great work. We don't destroy the ego. We don't destroy the rock. We make it transparent. I think that ego transparency idea is probably better than the idea of ego death in terms of matching what happens because the 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 Ruach doesn't go away it isn't gone dead silent impotent it's simply self-aware of its role as a conduit for the force of the higher the force doesn't come from us as an individual human personality it comes through us as a human personality refracted by our unique strengths and weaknesses, shaped and aimed by our best sense consciously of what we need to do in our lives to further the true will. So it's it's here about the right relationship between the Ruach and the Neshamah. And indeed um, as we've been discussing uh, that there is a a new aeon evolution of each of these parts of the soul Um, the right relationship between ruach and neshama is uh, the new aeon evolution this is what is what is happening uh, in a thelemically informed consciousness uh, in in the new aeon that is we have been able to that's the, the the task anyway is to increasingly identify with super consciousness and allow the quote-unquote death of the ego um which really just means an overturning of the ego's assumptions about its place in the picture um when um when the ego slash ruach i know i'm using those terms interchangeably and so keep that in mind um when the Ruach makes an, a misguided attempt here and there throughout life to assume the Neshima's rightful rulership, it ends up being put back in its place. And there's going to be a endless examples of this for all of us throughout our lives. And especially once we've committed ourselves to the magical path, to the path of return, the path of initiation, inner and outer, Um, When we get off track, when the ego thinks it's really in the driver's seat and is trying to steer us in a direction which is at odds with true will, we will tend to get a a pretty brisk slap on the face. Uh, Something from a nudge to a uh, horrendously intense push to get us back on the path. Now, of course, what this ends up feeling like, as I've talked about before, is is that we're being knocked off the path because we're being corrected but in a way that overturns what the ego thought it needed or what direction it thought it needed to go in. So the the subjective experience of these path corrections, if you want to think of them that way, is that the ego goes, what the hell, this is not what I wanted, this is a bad thing happening, and so on. But in retrospect, uh, What has just happened is that we've been helped to get back on track knocked back on track not knocked off track um there's more on this sort of thing and and uh, some of the talks i've done on the various ordeals of the paths there's a story that i like to tell in conjunction with this uh with this kind of discussion and i think there there's a a version of this sort of thing in the Bible somewhere, but I have not uh, taken the time to find it specifically. But the idea is that there is a home, a large home with many servants, uh, many ongoing activities around the home. Maybe it's a farm, maybe it's, uh, you know, it's just, it, there's a lot going on. And the, uh, the home the the property is is overseen by the master Um, but there's also a a butler someone who's been there to assist the master and take care of the servants and make sure everything is uh, going according to plan in a practical sense sort of the chief operating officer of the the situation so at one point the master has to go on a journey and go go to a neighboring kingdom to uh, obtain uh, one thing or another and uh, leaves the butler in charge of the property. This, uh, while initially concerning to the butler, uh, turns out to be something that uh, is quite enjoyable and the master stays gone for, for many months, even years, long journey. Meanwhile, the butler is really running the show in a practical sense. But when the master comes back, finally, uh, the butler is uh, quite resentful and not ready to turn over the reins of power back to the master. And so, of course, in this kind of a story, the butler is the ego and the master is is the real self. The butler is the Ruach. The master is the Neshamah. So it's as if in incarnating and building a life with the the ego Ruach, we've forgotten where we came from. We've forgotten that the master is away in the sense of our consciousness of Neshamah is is not in our consciousness. It's been kind of lost for a while. And the task, the central task of the path of return in this context is to reestablish conscious awareness of the right relationship with that master with the, the Neshama. Now, I made reference earlier in this episode to the idea that when all of the parts of the soul are functioning as an interrelated uh, whole and in, in a healthy way, um, the magician is, is plugged into the source of Neshama, empowered by the fires of Nefesh, but in charge of the shaping and direction of that force with the ruroch and another way to think of that is that the magician is is rightly functioning on all the levels of consciousness on all the planes you might think of that as um tetragrammaton you know of the four worlds uh all all the four worlds kind of talking to each other and right relationship to each other at uh in in a in a functional way in a maximally functional way so Um, I wanted to note that Crowley makes a statement uh, in Libre Libre that I think really beautifully, uh, succinctly sums this up. Uh, And the line is, act passionately, think rationally, be thyself. How about, let's apply that to the parts of the soul. Act passionately. So that's nefesh. We need that passion, and that's where the passion comes from. (laughs) Think rationally. That's Ruach. We need to shape and direct the passion to desired aims in conjunction with true will, and be thyself is neshama. The real thyself referenced there, it seems to me, is not just the transitory ego wants and desires and and, uh, false Mastery, but the the true master uh, that resides in us, in Neshama. So, let's come back to that idea of what's what's evolving in the new aeon in terms of Nefesh and the relationship between Ruach and Nefesh. So, when I um, started the series and was talking about, I guess it was in the overview episode, um, talking about uh, the, the, aeonic evolution of consciousness, I was referencing how um, human uh, human consciousness used to be centered in the idea that we had to act out on any impulses. This is a more animalistic way of functioning. This is nefesh-driven functioning. We had a few thousand years or more of learning to put that in check a bit by the 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 functioning of the ruach um to recognize that fight or flight doesn't have to govern our behavior to recognize that an impulse to punch someone in the face doesn't have to result in punching them in the face um and that's that's all good you know that's that's ruach development but uh the problem of course was the the imposition of uh controlling religious force there where where the the people were taught in a in a slave-like way you know to to have to turn to some power structure or priest class and gods and or the you know a, a god in the sky kind of idea in order to control themselves so that's a point i've made before but uh, uh, the the thing i want to focus on right now is simply that at that stage of human evolution and and from our vantage point now we can look back and say well of course weren't we silly to think that we just had to to be um slaves to our impulses weren't we silly to think that uh to ever have thought in our course of human evolution that uh, that we were nothing more than a bag of impulses and drives and that's just what was going to happen well of course and that's obvious now so in, in keeping with our understanding of that we've talked through in this series on on the full functioning of the psyche and the right role of the neshima and its and it, and the fact that we are divine beings with this neshima consciousness resonant within us if we learn how to remember really how to access it um, if we know that then let's imagine what's going to happen 500 years from now when, for example, uh, when we look back on our current state of human evolution. I think we'll be just as surprised that human beings in general didn't realize that we had divine creative potential. I think we'll look back and be surprised that human beings didn't recognize their own godhead. I think we'll look back and be surprised that humans felt that the Ruach, the ego, was the center of who they were. Uh, That will bring us, I think, to finally, to a, a full awareness of our birthright as divine creative powers incarnate in human bodies. We don't need to transcend some sinful or unholy aspect of self. We don't need to rely on some external redeemer. There's nothing we need to be redeemed from. Every part of us is sacred. All those impulses that we used to suppress and call evil and shameful are health-bringing and life-bringing sources of power. We simply need to harness them and direct them the way we see fit according to our best understanding of true will by forging a conscious link with Neshamah along the lines of the training and and the great work. In terms of the AA, for example, this is the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel that represents, if you will, uh, Neshamic consciousness, Neshamic awareness, Neshamic guidance, being consciously available to the Ruach. Whereas previously in the path of the adept, you know, when, when uh, we were aspirants uh, earlier in the path, we're mostly able to access superconscious contents via the unconscious through symbols and so on. And I've talked about that before. Um, but in the new Aeon, in fullness, I think we will be... Uh, I think the human race will be a race of beings that, by and large, live from a heightened awareness of the role of Neshima in our world, um, that have further transcended the idea that any part of us is not divine. Now, if we've accepted, and I hope you all agree with me, we, we've accepted that we are divine beings uh, what do we do with that what are the implications how might we translate that reality into a course of action that fully utilizes all the power sources available to us and i think one of the answers is sexual magic this is of course um, one of the key technical aspects of crowley's work and one i've talked about uh before on this podcast in a couple episodes a few years ago, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so how do we do that? What's the, what's the technique and the, and the mechanism for doing so? So what I'm going to try to do here is tie in what I've just been discussing across this Cabalistic psychology series with the uh, the material from the Sex Magic Talks to give it a little more life in terms of understanding the inner process. Uh, so I've talked a lot today about how uh, the right functioning of the parts of the soul is so important that the, the fully activated human psyche and spirit are it's uh, necessary for, um, for full functioning. So to do the most powerful magic possible, if we go by the, the line from Libre Libre again, you know, we need to be able to do that act passionately think rationally about how we're doing it and set it up appropriately and, and be thyself to have it be linked in and in accord with true will. So, it turns out that the um, course of magical training that I talked about previously in terms of Uh, The three stages of training map out really nicely to the the three parts of the soul we focused on here. Neshama, Ruach, I'm sorry, Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama. In order to have unfettered power from the Nefesh, we have to have done a purification phase where our relationship to our own sex force must be free of old Aeon ideas of negativity, dirtiness, impurity, anything that detracts from its true sacred nature. So that's the purification of the nefesh in the first phase of sexual magic training. Again, reference my earlier talks on sex, ma- sex magic for ways to do that, sort of practical steps to, to do these, these things. The next phase, which corresponds to the Ruach, um, is that we through consecration of the Ruach to divine aims, we train ourselves to direct the sex force toward the, the desired magical aim. We strengthen the muscles of our ability to focus. We've enhanced and you know pursued our, our yoga training, our ability to concentrate, our knowledge of symbols that can be utilized to harness the desired force in a specific way, in an efficient way. That's Ruach stuff. Um, we've trained the Ruach to consciously fall in love with any desired idea and direct the force of our devotion in its direction. So what's happening in sex magic, of course, is that we are channeling forces and ideas that typically are associated with, uh, with love or lust with another human, you know, but, but taking all that juice and putting it toward a magical aim with the same kind of intensity. We, we learn, as I said, we literally learn to fall in love with the magical aim and direct the force to it. Finally, in the initiation phase, connected with Neshama, we have to synthesize these last two processes into a workable approach uh, to sexual magic so we have to ensure that to the best of our ability that the aims of the work are in accord with true will that they're empowered by a connection to the highest source of spiritual force in and neshama um, and only when we've got the power of nefesh the directing focusing abilities of ruach and the plugged into the true will and power source aspect of neshama can we really do sex magic appropriately? And this is, of course, true for any magical ritual. As I've emphasized many times, sex magic is, first and foremost, magic, uh, like any other kind of magic in terms of its mechanics. But um, here, the model is even more explicit in terms of how it can overlay with, with these parts of the soul because of their their very natures. So let's talk about the sexual magical act itself in the context of Kabbalistic psychology. Um, I've got about five steps here. So, one, we are aligned with the true will via conscious connection to Neshamah. We're plugged into that power source. Two, the Ruach has chosen a magical aim in alignment with our best understanding of true will. And the necessity of the aim coming into fruition. The Ruach knows it is merely a conduit for the flow of universal force. It's not the power source itself. The Ruach formulates the aim as simply and concisely as possible, condensing this into what I think we could call a seed of will. So in any magical r- ritual, and certainly in the sex magical ritual, you, you want to bring the focus on the desired aim into a concise form that you can maintain awareness of and consciousness of throughout the ritual, and especially at the climax of the ritual, uh, energetic climax of the ritual, so that you're impressing that will force on the symbol, the idea, the aim, the talisman, the magical implement you're charging. Or in the case of sexual magic, the eventual Eucharist of the the sexual fluids. So um that's step two with the Ruach. Uh three, the generative fire of Nefesh. The creative life force itself is stoked via sexual activity while maintaining background awareness of the magical aim. At the climax of the ritual, this is four, at the climax of the ritual and of the sexual act, the resulting force is released toward the magical aim with the focus of the Ruach and linkage to Neshima and the true will guiding its path. So we've constructed this ritual. We know what the aim is. We've got our symbol sets. Maybe there's talismans. Um, but in any case, we've found a concise way to keep it in our awareness, at least in a background way, as we just let the sex happen. And then, and I'm talking generically here of uh, uh, two partners having sex, but um, you could expand this to any number of other scenarios as long as people are keeping these awarenesses in mind. Um, so you've you've let go of the aim of the ritual as a center of consciousness thing, it's there in the background, but you're letting yourself be fully empowered by the the arousal process of the sex itself, bringing the quote-unquote ritual to its natural climax, um, and releasing that force finally toward the magical aim. This might be enhanced with mantra, um with a phrase of some kind that summarizes the aim or the formula you're working with or the, the the thing that's you're designing it to invoke but here's the real the real climax in terms of why this magic works and at that moment of if you want to call it ego death the orgasm that will seed which we've created um, is released from that that present moment of ego death to take seed in the next moment. So at the climax of any ritual, the magician kind of dies because they're about to be reborn into the next moment of embodying what the ritual is supposed to be about. So if the ritual is designed to create a change of consciousness, a change of our own nature, then we have to let go of the old in order to reprogram the new. It's like, you know, take a software metaphor here that the the old magician uh, creating the ritual was designing uh, an app, you know, that has to be loaded into the new magician after the ritual is done. So that will seed is the encapsulated will of the magician when the climax occurs and the the eucharist um, is available for consumption or you know putting onto a talisman or whatever you're going to do with it um, that will seed can take root in the new magician inaugurating the whole path of you know moving forward from the the magical aim that was that was set up from the beginning so it's like the will seed was encoded by the ritual and is then planted in the new magician and of course again when i say the new magician i mean it's you but you've let go of the old self that uh set this ritual up and you're ready to embody whatever aim you were you were shooting for with with the uh, the rituals so um that's that's kind of an outline a skeletal outline of of this approach applied to sexual magic but also keeping in mind all of the the interplay and right functioning um of the parts of the soul the nefesh ruach and neshama okay so at this point, I think we're finally ready to conclude this series on kabbalistic psychology and I, and I hope that over the course of these episodes you've been able to uh, you know get a grasp of the the basic uh, ideas here and hopefully most importantly to integrate them in a way that is truly meaningful you know as it, as it connects with your own inner experience that that this becomes a model of talking about and understanding yourself that real really has um, applicability to what life feels like to you so that it becomes a genuine tool and not just some theoretical model uh, that we put in a pile with other theoretical models. Uh, it really is a, a detailed and um, all-encompassing model of how human beings function in their fullness from the most basic physical nature to the most ineffable divine power so thank you as always for listening um, and please continue to keep your suggestions for future episodes flowing i always love to hear from you with feedback and suggestions um, you can reach me via email at uh, david at you can also of course leave comments uh, questions directly on the youtube uh, channel Uh, And uh, if you're interested in the the training that might lead you toward deeper work with the principles of Kabbalistic psychology, the principles of magic of all forms, mysticism, meditation, and much more, you can reach out to the Temple of the Silver Star at totss.org and, of course, the AA at onestarinsight.org. So thanks very much for listening, and I will be back with you soon. Love is the law, love under will.